Welcome to the ESG Agenda. This week, I speak with Greg Fewer, Chief Financial and Sustainability Officer for Aldar Properties, the leading real estate developer and manager in the United Arab Emirates. The construction and operation of buildings have been shown to account for 40% of worldwide greenhouse gas emissions. And with such a massive carbon footprint, nations, local governments, and companies are continuing to set carbon reduction goals with an eye to becoming as carbon neutral as possible. When done right, decarbonization not only addresses global environmental challenges, but can also contribute to cost savings, social equity, tenant and employee health, and well-being. It is crucial to achieving the commitments made under the Paris Agreement and the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Greg talks about how the local government made sustainability cool by prioritizing sustainable development in the creation of Mazdar, a planned city project in Abu Dhabi. He discusses why sustainability is a natural fit for CFO responsibilities and how sustainability actively informs the way Aldar operates, collaborates, innovates, and grows. As a finance person, you touch everything across an enterprise and sustainability needs that enterprise-wide advocacy. And I'm able to push for that from the finance office. And chief financial officers have a big role to play in ensuring that there are resources made available to the sustainability effort and initiative. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Amelia. Great to be here. So the Wall Street Journal recently wrote about how CFOs are embracing sustainability measures as a way to attract new investors, lower their company's borrowing costs, and cut operating expenses. You've taken it a step further and recently added sustainability to your role as CFO. How does ESG fit into a CFO's set of responsibilities? Uh, well, there's a couple a couple limbs to that. I think, um, I mean, first and foremost, it's it's super important that sustainability has chief level advocacy within the management uh, suite. And that always starts with the CEO. And thank, thankfully, in our situation, our CEO is a, and our board for that fact, are huge supporters of, of, of sustainability. And then it was a funny story, which I'll, I'll tell about how I got my title and, and how uh, sustainability was actually incorporated into the, into the, the financial officer's office. Um, and, and that was two years ago when we really started our, our sustainability journey here at, at, at Aldar. I was describing to the CEO just the, the ethos and the narrative and, and, and our storyline, which is fundamentally about philosophically marrying the needs of today with the needs of tomorrow. And the way our organization was set up, we're a large conglomerate here at Aldar, uh, $20 billion worth of real estate assets under owned and under management. And we're at a division of asset managers who look after the built environment and a division of development managers who looked after home building and, and they were out making money. And, and my role in the center was about allocating capital, making sure we had capital to grow, making sure we had capital reined in when we needed to, to risk manage. My portfolio included digital transformation. My portfolio included uh, innovation and included strategy. So it was a lot about future-proofing the business. So as we talked through this, and I was describing at the same time what sustainability was out, he kind of turned to me and said, well, you should just be called the chief sustainability officer. And, and I thought, you know, that's actually true. That's what a great idea. And actually what a great way to, to uh, signal to our staff and to our stakeholders that we're, we are taking sustainability extremely seriously in our company, given our org structure at our time in our, in our journey. 
So we did it for a day. I was actually called the chief sustainability officer and our publicly listed company, Eldar Properties, didn't have a, a CFO. And then Brunswick actually wrote a very nice memo uh, later that day that said, well, you should maybe think about this a little bit. You are publicly listed and dropping the F might be a little a, a little early, but but you know th th that was the logic. It, uh, it brought um, sustainability into the management suite an advocate for it beyond. As a finance person, you touch everything across an enterprise and sustainability needs that enterprise-wide advocacy. And I'm able to push for that from, from the finance office. And, you know, chief financial officers have a big role in making it to play in ensuring that there are resources made available to the sustainability uh, effort and initiative because it's generally new to a lot of companies. So it, for us, it made a lot of sense uh, given how we were structured and uh, where we were in our journey. And you not only talk about it internally, but surely uh, in terms of access to capital and cost of capital, um, your ESG activities influence your conversations with lenders as well. Yeah, look, you know, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, we really leaned into this in the last few years in no small measure from the sheer weight of stakeholder, you know, support for sustainability. It truly is a must have now for companies like us publicly listed, uh, we have bonds listed, uh, you know, on the on the Irish Stock Exchange. We're members of the MSCI Emerging Market Index. So we have a lot of emerging market and dollar-based investors, and this is just really important to them. Three years ago, you know, three conversations out of ten with those shareholders were talking about our ESG credentials and and what we're doing. And today, it is ten out of ten. And so, you know, if you don't espouse this, if you don't drive this, if you don't incorporate this truly into your um, into what you're about as a company people just won't buy your shares. And so there's a great story when in, you know, I was with my CEO last year and we were at one of those shareholder conferences, sitting down with sort of speed dating style, meeting all your, your investors in a short period of time. And there's analysts and they're taking notes, what's your EBITDA, EBITDA margin, and you know, what's, what's your growth aspirations, things like that. And then one meeting, this very senior gentleman came in, just him, no analysts, no calculators, no, no laptops, and he just sat down talked to us about our culture, talked to us about um, uh, diversity, talked to us about uh, our community engagement. And uh, we had a great conversation. Our CEO lit up and he actually was the best meeting we had that, that entire conference. And then he, got, and he said, thank you. And he just got up and sauntered and started to leave. I said, excuse me, sir, you know, can you, you didn't ask anything about what the numbers or anything. He said, oh, no, I, I've got teams for that. So this was a senior portfolio manager looked after the entire hemisphere's worth of investments for this top 10 global investor. And he said, I have teams to do that, stock pickers. And, and I'm the person that decides if you're a long-term holder or not. And, and that was his question. His questions were about sustainability. They were about, did we bring that philosophy to the management suite? Will we, on balance, over the cycle, make business decisions that reflect the thoughtfulness and the, the breadth that, that the sustainability narrative really addresses? And their belief is that those management teams over the long term will make more smart decisions than not and will be around longer than others. And that really struck a chord with us. And that really, you know, sort of explained, you know, the, the stakeholder angle there. It's like, you know they're just going to hold on to you longer, which means less people selling or they're going to go out of their way to buy you. And, it, and that's how you, you know, that's how you translate the shareholder value that you represent as a management team into your stock price and in, into the market. So, yeah, and that's true in the bond markets too, um, in terms of borrow, reducing our borrowing costs and just you know, maximizing the appeal of Aldar to the widest group of people possible. 
That's super interesting. And actually, it reflects something that I've been hearing from investors also is that um, good ESG really starts with good management. And we're seeing an increased focus on how supportive not only management is, but how understanding of these issues is the board. Because, you know, if it doesn't start with the board and if it isn't integrated into management decisions and how it looks at corporate strategy, and as you say, how it thinks about its entire enterprise, then it's not likely to be as integrated into the business as it needs to be for the business to be resilient and sustainable over the long term. No, look, that's super important. I mean, the, the, the support comes uh, right from the top and from the shareholders, especially down through the governance structure, through the board. And then into management, you need to be incentivized. You need to encourage the people you govern and the people you manage to spend time on this kind of stuff. It, it takes energy, it takes resources, uh, it takes ideation, and it takes uh, you know debate and discussion to both engage with your shareholders to make sure you're incorporating into your own work that which they care about. And what we're lucky here in, in Abu Dhabi is that um, uh, you know this place is known for hydrocarbon and known for its footprint there, but it's been a pioneer for a long time especially in particular in the world of renewable energy. You know, going back 15 years, you know, Mazdar was invented by, you know, in Abu Dhabi as an experiment really in, in, in urban, you know, designing a city with a carbon neutral footprint. And leadership had an insight uh, and a narrative way back then saying, you know, in Abu Dhabi, we see ourselves as leaders in the energy industry. And we see ourselves parlaying that leadership uh, which today is hydrocarbon-based energy into, you know, energy of the future and renewable, and that that sparked investment in time, resources, and research into Mazdar, which which brought together lots of different initiatives around solar energy, wind energy, and the uh, urban development of its Mazdar city. So it was kind of cool down here for a long time to talk about that kind of stuff, and and generally your boards are populated with with leadership from the community and from the the, the shareholder group. And so they brought that intuition and that, that narrative with them into our, into our boardroom. And so when management really started to push this in the last couple of years, the sustainability agenda, we, you know, we found very, we found a ton of encouragement, which has helped us get to where we are today. I was also going to say, I mean, the Abu Dhabi Stock Exchange has issued ESG disclosure guidelines for its listed companies in line with the UN Sustainable Stock Exchanges Initiative. So really placing it front and center in the global conversation. So you talked about leadership and, and how that's really helped Aldar adopt sustainability and, and put ESG central to its strategy. What are the priority sustainability issues for a company like Aldar? Well, I mean, as a real estate company, a big one, and, and we're a unique animal, you know, as Aldar Properties, we're what's called, you know, master developers. So, you know, uh, we're in an emerging market. We're in a country that's only 49 years old. You know, we were invented 15 years ago to build the nation. And so we started life 15 years ago as an enormous, we'll call it sand bank that was publicly listed and had like 20% of the city. And it was, you know, charged with going forward and taking, turning that sand into land and that was land into buildings. And, and as a result, where we sit today is we're sort of a, a, a unique uh, global animal where we're, we're an enormous, you know, asset base, you know, uh, $20 billion of real estate owned and managed, split roughly half and half between a developer, a home builder, and we make about $400 million a year in net profit, you know, from home building and about $480 million a year from a REIT, a very large built multi-asset class um, REIT. And so we're a big real estate company and you can't not talk about carbon in terms of your number one priority, both carbon from the real estate invention perspective, which is what our development company does. We design 
communities. We build communities from the ground up. Uh, we design large buildings for uh, bespoke end users. We design and build retail assets. Uh, we design and build everything that we currently own today. And, and then on the asset management side, um, we own a lot of real estate. And you know, depending, there's a number of studies and statistics out there that show real estate as an asset class is, is the number one producer and contributor of carbon into our environment. Both the invention of the real estate, the manner in which it's invented and the indirect carbon footprint from the glass and the steel and the cement and the, you know, the way the architecture uh, of, of buildings are, are, are designed and materials uh, called for the placement of buildings on, on certain sites. You set the, the carbon personality at that moment, but then you hand it off to owners and, and the way energy is used, the way you clad your buildings, the way you, you manage your uh, the environmental, uh, you know, the, the HVAC systems inside, huge, huge uh, contributor. And so by leaning into sustainability, we're really leaning into the way we design our real estate, uh, the, the kind of materials we use, the, the way we manage energy in the buildings that, that, that we own, and, and addressing that, that topic head on. And it's super important when you're in the Middle East because you know the the way that um, you know you you use energy in the building, you know, cooling is really important. Tremendous consumers of power, um, uh, you know, to cool our buildings. And there's a lot of thoughtful things that we can do to make sure that that is done in a very thoughtful manner to minimize that footprint and be leaders in how real estate needs to be uh, designed, built, owned, and managed in our environment. Do you find um, that there's a trade-off then in making those choices um, for a more sustainable built environment between the cost of sourcing more sustainable materials, the cost of more sustainable cooling systems? You know, all of these are, are in the market today. Some of them are more cutting edge. Most of them aren't adopted as widely as it needs to be to drive the costs down. So from a CFO's perspective, do you find that you're making these trade-offs at all? Yeah, I mean, look, you need to manage costs carefully. I think one of the nice things about being a builder and a landlord at the same time is that, you know, you, 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 you build and develop much more empathetically. And so uh, what we're doing really well now, and this is where technologies like BIM and other things are really helping um, the, the inventors of real estate connect directly during that invention phase with the operators of the real estate. And with, that, with those kind of handshakes taking place now, and when we encourage them uh, in our company, the economics of so with certain kind of um, uh, you know cladding and and seeing the benefit, yeah, some of it is more costly, and the material selection you make slightly different. But then when you start incorporating the full life costs, the full life costs, uh, the, the benefits that come from uh, the reduction in energy consumption, um, then the economic sense starts to to become quite apparent. Uh, and I think a, not a lot of that was done in the past here. I think, you know, our, our region is famous for, you know, throwing up a lot of tall glass very quickly. And, um, and, and, and the next generation of development will definitely be programmed with a lot more of the consequences of, of the cladding and the, and the HVAC system that you're buying against a lot more data and understanding now, you know, uh, having lived with, with, you know, the 2005 to 2010 invention phase of real estate, we live with that now for, you know, seven to 10 years. And so we know exactly how this real estate performs. We know exactly the consequences of building the way we have done in the past. And it helps you make some smarter and, uh, you know, more informed cost benefit decisions that will greatly help going forward. 
So there are a lot of discussions now at a governmental level, certainly in Europe, as we emerge from COVID, tying that to a green recovery. We're seeing a lot more energy from the U.S. with the Biden administration putting climate front and center, you know, in, in, in the cabinet, in the treasury and in the SEC. You talked about leadership in Abu Dhabi. Do you see that translating through to their commitment to help make you know, help companies like you make these decisions more easily from a cost perspective, from a regulatory perspective, encouraging you to make these decisions? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, as I said earlier, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky that that it's been cool in Abu Dhabi to talk about this kind of stuff for a long time because of, the, you know, because of the, the, the Mazdar initiative. And I think that really reflected the philosophy of, of leadership that's still there today. So we've seen some great pioneering work in our urban planning council. You know, we've got our own version of the, the lead a scoring system called Estadama, where we get one, two, and three pearl ratings in terms of sustainability uh, scoring that attaches to new buildings that you design and develop. And so that, that was a very progressive system that was put up uh, here, uh, you know, probably eight or nine years ago now, which reflects the government's focus on it here. And I think it's, it's very iterative. You know, at, at the end of the day, the government needs to set the stage and it needs to encourage but it really does take leadership from private sector um, and, and near government enterprises when it comes to practitioners, and I'm just talking specifically about real estate, to really start to, to, to push the needle more, to not be pulled into these kind of agendas but by government. They should enable it and they should encourage it, but we're the ones that need to take uh, some bold steps and some bold actions to actually design something that's progressive, to actually build much more inclusive communities to actually you know, get much more involved in community programs and improve livability and, 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 and community welfare, which are all limbs of our sustainability agenda. You know, we, I think we look to our government for, for enablement, uh, but the, you know, the proof is gonna be with the actors. And we take it upon ourselves as leaders in our industry to drive the enablement discussion with government where it's important, but to build more thoughtful real estate and to manage more thoughtful real estate and to, and to manage our energy, collect our data and make some difference on our own. Fantastic. I often get asked, what's everyone else doing? How are they doing it? So I'd like to ask you, you know, what advice would you give to another CFO who's just coming to grips with ESG, not even thinking about putting sustainability under their suite of responsibilities? Because I think you are definitely out in front by doing that. But, you know, if someone thinks that ESG is, you know, not a CFO set of responsibilities, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them? I mean, look, I think, you know, ESG is one of those things that everyone has to, has to, to, to take a deep interest in. It's ubiquitous across the enterprise. And, and anyone in the C-suite has, has the chief level impact uh, they can have on that. You know, if I was to look back at our journey, you know, um, I, I think, you know, one of the things I would advise the CFOs of the future is, you know, this stuff takes time and it takes energy. When we started our journey a couple of years back, you know, we, we all felt deeply in it. We felt it was going to be kind of like communicating strategy within a company. You got to have a consistent drumbeat. You need to communicate well. Uh, you want everyone to be able to, to rehearse the, you know, and, and run off the same hymn sheet, as it were, and program that into their everyday actions. So someone has to design a building. Okay, they're going to design it with the sustainability principle in place. And as long as we're doing our job communicating what's important to people, that's, that's going to sort of work. And that didn't work. <laughs> it's hard. I think what we've learned over the last couple of years is that when you're going to fold a sustainability agenda, in particular around environment, let's say, into the you know your operating companies and, and your your operating managers, 
invariably what comes back from that is a portfolio of initiatives that turns a 40 hour work week into a 50 hour work week, which is said another way, it requires resources. So as a CFO, I mean, you need to acknowledge that. So this point you were talking before about trading off costs and benefits, you need to play a role in that. You need to be an advocate for the longer term benefits. And it's not just, you know, a belief or a cause. I mean, you got to make it analytical and then you have to actually drive and attach KPIs to the people that are spending the money. So, you know, you're, you're, you're articulating benefits um, that are going to come from that. Some objective, some subjective, some will involve a little belief. But without the CFO advocating for that, it's going to be very hard for CEOs and boards, you know, to make the resources available that must be made available to drive agendas forward and to actually start making a difference. And that's and that's that's the penny that dropped for us sort of last year. And now we've started to actually, you know, provide the requisite resourcing and whether it's consultants, which I think this is just, a, it is a very consultant heavy, I think, in engagement um, for a lot of people. And I think we've, you know, spending more time with, with very thoughtful and like-minded consultants has moved us along. And there's a role for that early in, in a lot of companies' journeys. It moves you from point A to point B a lot faster until your own staff and employees can see the kind of activities and skills that are needed to, to invent the initiatives and implement the initiatives. And then we'll resource those, you know, more on our own in the next phase of our journey. Uh, but it, it, it takes, um, uh, you know, you need an ax to chop wood and uh, it, it, it takes, uh, takes resources. So looking ahead to the next five, 10 years, uh, you've come this far, you've now put sustainability, you know, firmly in your set of uh, responsibilities. What are you hoping to accomplish? So first and foremost, it is carbon, right? And so, you know, we're, we're really happy to have sort of announced our, car, our carbon neutral action plan uh, last year which we very deliberately did not attach a date to uh, just yet. Uh, I think one of the things that's defining our, our, our journey is that, you know, we want to make it thoughtful and we want to make it real. And, and for companies that's exploded onto the real estate scene as fast as we have with so much new real estate so, so, uh, that's been built so recently, you know, we found data collection actually being one of our biggest, earliest challenges. And, and, and so like this year, our main, you know, objective, you know, in our sustainability team is really getting our data management system up and running and getting the, the you know, gigabytes of data that, that we produce all cleaned, scrubbed into one place and to perfect our baselining and to make our sustainability journey as objective as possible. And so moving us forward, you know, in a time series and, you know, where we're going to get to in a, in a few years time. At this stage, I want to make it as objective and real as possible. And so we, we've resisted the urge of saying we're going to be carbon neutral by, by 2030 because we know how serious it is and because we know how, how um, significant a journey that is. I'm not sure at what point we're going to get carbon neutral, but we are absolutely going to take all the necessary steps to measure our baseline, measure our progress, and to create realistic and achievable goals that you reassess every Every, you know, every few years. I think that way you create more employee engagement when employees see that there's actually a thoughtful target put in place and that target, you can work backwards on that target with some very real uh, initiatives and KPIs that our employees will get very vested in. It becomes much more engaging for, for the staff because you don't have these, these super long dated uh, goals and aspirations, but you create a direction of travel that has very realistic um, milestones and signposts on it. 
Um, and that, that's our goal. I want to get this Titanic sort of moving in, in, in the right direction uh, and, and measure our progress so our staff get super energized and, uh, and start pushing faster and faster as they see it. more real and achievable goals uh, become you know, closer and closer in their reach. That's fantastic. I mean, you're essentially talking about uh, setting out a roadmap to get there and determining the kind of specific milestones that are, that are relevant to what you're able to accomplish, but where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it sounds a little, a little flippant, actually, when we end up making this carbon neutral action and didn't stick a date on it. We actually had a lot of pressure from our advisors. Saying, well, of course, you got to put a date on it or else it's, it's not real and people won't think it's serious. And we actually took the view the, the other way around. It's like, because it's so serious, you know, we, we wanted to make it real. You can't be real without data. You know, this is a very data heavy line of work and, and you have to know your baselines so you can measure your progress. You have to know what works and what doesn't. Because if it's not working or you're not getting the progress you want on some of this, you got to pivot quickly and, and move into move into something else. And your stakeholders demand it. The words are great, but increasingly, as this agenda becomes more more important, you know, people are having much more discussions about. Oh, that's great, Greg. You know, carbon. But where are you guys? What is your baseline last year at, at Yasmol, and how did you progress against it at Yasmol? And um, and you got to be up to the task with some specific stuff to uh, to respond. Yeah, we are seeing a lot of that, and 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 it's not just you and the data collection, but I mean, you know, I'm sure you're aware net zero targets, net zero commitments doubled in the last year, and now everybody wants to see companies walking the talk, right? So it's great to make a commitment. That's often the first step, and it's not a small thing either. But now, how are you going to get and what progress you're going to show on that journey is is super important, and what uh, what people are looking for. Greg, thank you so much for your time. It was really a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. The pleasure, Millie. Thanks a lot. That was Greg Fewer, Chief Financial and Sustainability Officer for Aldar Properties. We heard about the challenges of setting targets and collecting data, and how ultimately he believes that good ESG will future-proof operations for a world where sustainability and growth go hand in hand. I'm Amelia Pan. Thanks for listening to the ESG Agenda. 